Welcome to The Working Therapist with Hayden Bolick, a podcast designed to help you grow more, do more, and be more as a therapist. The Working Therapist is an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. We're glad you've joined us for today's podcast. So here's your host, Hayden Bolick. Hey, everybody. How are you? I hope you're doing great. I am. I am Hayden Bullock, your host of The Working Therapist, and today on this podcast, we are talking about jaw assessment and treatment, and that's a very exciting topic for me. I'm a speech therapist, and for other speech therapists who are listening, probably an exciting topic for you as well, considering the jaw really affects a lot of everything I do all day long. And sometimes I've noticed that in doing an oral motor assessment on a maybe a speech and language evaluation for a child who's just walked through my door, I've noticed that sometimes people don't always do a very specific oral motor assessment. And so I today hope to clarify some of what you're looking for when you're doing an oral motor assessment, focusing today on the jaw. So we're going to really look hard at what to look for if you're when you're assessing the jaw, what to look for, um, what's normal, what's not normal, and then also how to treat the situation and how the jaw impacts the movement of the tongue, cheeks, and lips. So this is cool, exciting stuff if you're really nerdy like I am and you get all excited about oral motor assessment and treatment. And so I've just claimed it through the years. I am nerdy like this. And so you know what? Let's get started with it because <laughs> I just like it. It's fun. So why assess the jaw? Because you could do an oral motor assessment and you could ask the family, hey, does he or she have any problems eating? Do they have any problems drinking? You could do a Goldman Fristo and do a speech assessment and look at all the speech sounds and never really, really, really take a good look at the jaw and how it's moving. So why would you even assess the jaw? Well, you do that first because the jaw provides the framework and the foundation for the movement for the tongue, lips, and cheeks. Well, you use the tongue, lips, and cheeks along with the jaw, for articulation for everything you say. And the jaw also provides stability for the cheeks, the lips, the tongue, for chewing and eating. What you use to talk with, you use to eat with. So if you have poor jaw stability for speech sound productions, you're going to have poor jaw stability for bolus formation and movement and everything that has to do with eating. So think about the jaw that way. If you do, then it sort of changes your thought process, and it also makes you understand how important it is to really do a good jaw assessment and to understand what you're assessing and what you're looking for and what you're treating and why you're treating it. That's your framework for your oral motor assessment. Start with the jaw and do your oral motor assessment from the jaw then to the tongue, lips, and cheeks, but start with the jaw. That's your framework, and what we're going to talk about now is what you look for in your assessment what you look for in your treatment, how you treat it, how the jaw impacts speech sound production, how the jaw impacts feeding. So that's your framework as you listen to this podcast and as you go on and do oral motor assessments. Okay, so on the assessment, when you're looking at the jaw, you're getting ready to do your oral motor assessment. Usually my oral motor assessment starts when I'm doing my birth history because I'm thinking about the whole child in every assessment I do. So when I go in to do speech and language, voice, fluency, oral motor assessment, whatever, all of that is part of my initial assessment. I'm thinking about the whole child during that birth history. So I'm asking questions about development, when they got their first words, when they started walking, how they communicate, how they request, how they initiate, all of that. But at the same time, I'm also asking questions about feeding or sound development. What does he say? 
what sounds does he say? Well, I'm asking sounds specifically so I know if he's saying any words or not, but also kind of what sounds he says to see if there's certain sounds that he's saying or he or she, or there's certain sounds that the child is not saying, because that clues me in, hmm, maybe there's an oral motor issue. Either way, I'm just asking those questions. So I'm trying to kind of figure out from the questions I'm asking, kind of their speech sound or their mouth patterns and mouth movement. So I'm doing that. I also do the same thing when I'm doing a feeding or asking questions about feeding. Instead of just asking, how does he eat? A very broad question. And parents will a lot of times say, oh, he's good. Well, eating good doesn't really tell you much of anything. It just tells you he can eat good. Well, what does that mean? So you need to ask more questions. And I'm mentioning this because I've noticed a lot of therapists asking lots of detailed questions about, oh, when did he first get his first words? When did they start walking? You know, what words does he say? And they'll ask lots of great questions about, you know, the words their child is saying, when they use them, how they use them. But more general questions about how they're eating. And both are very important in assessment, and both are important, especially when you're doing an oral motor assessment when you're looking at the jaw. So I'm bringing it all back to the jaw. There is a method to this madness here, so stick with me. I'll get you back. Just hold on. So oral motor, when you're looking at or feeding, that's what the question I ask. How does he eat? The parents say, good, he eats good. Well, that's not very specific. So you need more info. You could say, well, what does he eat? You might find out that a child eats all pureed foods and he doesn't chew anything. Well, that's important information. It tells you a lot about the jaw and how that's moving. I've had parents before who have told me, oh, well, he eats great. But then when I go to ask questions, he might only be eating like just chicken nuggets, like really hard to chew foods. That also tells me a lot about the jaw. Just as much as just eating pureed foods will tell me a lot about the jaw. Or, oh, well, he still drinks out of a sippy cup and he's four. Well, that tells me a whole lot as well. Or if they're three and they're still drinking out of a bottle and they haven't transitioned to a cup, that tells me a lot. Well, they're eating good, meaning they're taking all the bottle, but good for me is not necessarily a child taking a bottle at age three. So that's what I mean by you got to ask a lot of detailed questions about what types of food they eat, when they eat, what they use to eat, all of that's really important information. I've even had parents tell me, oh, he or she only eats white foods. Well, that may or may not necessarily be a jaw problem, but again, it's important information to ask and have during your assessment. So when you're doing the good speech assessment that we all learn how to do and the good speech questions to the parent or the guardian that we all learn how to do in graduate school, it's important not to skim over that oral motor or feeding assessment or two. Even if you don't normally do a lot of feeding, you feel like, oh, well, gosh, I don't have a lot of experience. This is an area that I don't feel as comfortable with. Go ahead and ask a lot of questions. You'll get better at it just by asking questions and finding out like, from a variety of people information. And hey, this was told to me a long time ago, and so I'm going to share it with everybody now. If it's you and parents and a child, the only person in the room this the speech language expert is you. Now, day one right out of school or year 20, it doesn't really matter. You know, say you're right out of school, you're still the only speech and language specialist in the room. So ask all the questions. It's not going to hurt anything. Even if you don't know what to do with all the information, at least get the information. And then usually you can partner up with somebody to know what to do with the information. But getting it's important. Don't shy away from any area of assessment. Don't ask because you don't have a lot of experience in that area. Ask the questions, find out the information, and then figure out what to do with it later. Again, you're the only speech and language expert in the room. And it just means that, hey, you went to school for this. So 
rock on with your bad self. I don't know. That's all I know to say about that. But there you go. That's how you should think about it. I had a good mentor a long time ago who said that when I was first starting work. And so I've kind of taken that with me through the years. And it sort of has helped in a lot of situations when I didn't know what the heck I was doing. But I thought, well, I'm the only one here who went to school for this. So I need to at least act like or try to hope I know what I'm doing. So take that with you. Anyway, all right, so you're looking at the child and you're doing the assessment. So what's the first thing to do when you're looking at the jaw to assess the jaw? Well, the first thing you want to assess is, is their mouth open or closed? Sounds kind of basic, but really, truly, a lot of kids breathe out of their mouth, not their nose, important thing to note. And so because of that, a lot of times they'll have a sort of a slack jaw or a slack face appearance where their overall face maybe has a little less emotion or expression in it and just because their mouth is open all the time. So a lot of times an open mouth posture sort of helps promote less tone in the cheeks and less tone in the lips because you're not really keeping them closed. And so you just sort of get less tone. A lot of times kids with Down syndrome will appear like this. Kids who have enlarged adenoids and tonsils a lot of times will be breathing out of their mouth, not their nose. A lot of kids with various genetic anomalies or genetic syndromes will sometimes have an open mouth posture. That's what I call it, an open mouth posture. So that's the first thing. Look at the child and find out, is their mouth open or closed? That's a pretty easy check, check on the box there. The second thing you want to look at is when they're moving their jaw, are there any asymmetries? Are they moving one side of their face more than other sides of their face? Is their jaw laterally moving any when they're talking, kind of doing some sliding of the jaw? If you want to assess that and look to see what's happening with that. You also want to assess jaw excursion as it's related to speech sound productions. So, for example, if they're always opening their jaw real wide for everything they say, and maybe their sounds are limited to puh, buh, muh, and they're saying, you know, ba-ba, or ma-ma, or pa-pa, or, you know, it could be those open vowels too, the ah, a vowels versus a, you know, a i vowel where your jaw is closed tighter. So it's important to assess how much the jaw is moving. And you can do that with your speech sound productions. So how do you assess if jaw movement is normal or if there's adequate strength and function? I learned this from the Deborah Beckman oral motor exercises protocol and exam that you can do if you attend her class. But I think this is a great assessment. It's quick and it's easy and it tells you a lot of good information. And then I'll tell you what else I do. But first, the first thing I do is I use a chewy tube. And I Okay, so say you're coming at a child with a chewy tube. I mean, that doesn't look like very much fun. And think about this. If they're, we're working with kids, if therapy isn't fun, then, I mean, really, you're working with kids. It's got to be fun. And if somebody's coming at me with a chewy tube, and I've never seen a chewy tube before in my life, I might be a little freaked out. So I don't know if you're, everybody's familiar with chewy tubes out there, but basically a chewy tube is exactly what it says it is. It's just a piece of latex, sometimes shaped like in T's or sometimes they're shaped in P's. So if you don't know what a chewy tube is, you can go to our website at pediatricdt.com. And if you look under toys and products under that tab, then you can click there first, toys and products, and then go to the oral motor tab and you'll see our oral motor toys and you'll also find chewy tubes, which is what we're talking about. So go look there. My favorite chewy tube is the one that's just a very plain P. Sometimes you'll hear people talk about P's and Q's because there are certain chewy tubes that are in the shape of Q's and there are certain chewy tubes that are in the shape of a P. And I think most people, if you know what a chewy tube is, will know exactly what I'm talking about. But I like the green ones that are in the shape of a P. And the reason I like those, I also use the ones that are like a T as well sometimes, but I like the ones without a lot of texture because I don't want 
if there's a texture issue in addition to a chewing issue, then I don't want texture on the chewy tube to confuse my chewing issue. See, so I want to assess the two separately. So I like a plain chewy tube with no texture. And I like the one that's the green P, like the one we have on our website, because I can hold the P end of it, and then I have sort of a long, like, stick part. And so the stick part is what I can use to assess the chewing. And normally what I do is I always carry two into every assessment with me. And I always I have gloves on my hand, and I always give the child gloves on their hand to use, as long as there's no latex allergy. If not, I'll use vinyl gloves. And I've got this sort of rubber chewy tube that I'm using and I carry two and I have gloves on their hand and then I have the child do it to me first so I have my chewy tube that I'm using and I'll put it in the child's hand and then I'll chew on the stick end of the pee and then I'll talk to the child about them doing it I have so much more success doing it this way when the child does it to me first than if I go in there and try to stick this chewy tube thing in the child's mouth they aren't buying it, people. They don't like it, and I wouldn't like it either. So just because it's what you do all day and you're familiar with it doesn't mean that's what kids do all day. So think of it from their perspective a little bit. Anyway, so little tip. But what you want to do first is you want to assess the jaw. And so like I was talking about the Deborah Beckman oral motor protocol, 20 times on each side is normal with normal jaw rhythm with adequate jaw excursion, about the same amount of excursion on each side, the right and the left, rhythmic. So if you're counting one, two, three, all the way up to 20, you know, every time they chew on kind of a rhythm, they hold that pattern for 20 chews on the right and the left with the same amount of jaw excursion. That's normal. Go home, try it, do it in your bathroom mirror with the chewy tube and you can see what normal is. So a lot of times what you see for a child who has jaw weakness is you'll see where they'll start off in that rhythmic pattern with sort of adequate amount of excursion and, like I said, sort of a rhythmic pattern, but you'll see quickly, like at about five to seven chews, will they start wide jaw excursions or start biting and holding on the chewy tube, or they'll start real small jaw excursions. Or you'll start to see them kind of pick up the pace real fast and kind of instead of chewing, they'll just sort of move their teeth on top of the chewy tube real, real, real fast. All of that indicates poor jaw strength and weakness, and you know right there you've got some jaw strengthening issues. And so I do it on the right, and I do it on the left. And each time when I first do it on the right, then I have the child do it on me first, and then I do them. And then when I do it on the left, again, I have the child do it on me first, and I do them, hence the two chewy tubes. So, and then I put those up, and we're done with that. So that is a quick, nice assessment that I learned from the Deborah Beckman stuff. Also, what I do is I like to see a child open their mouth all the way. So like in a ah or uh sound, those vowels, when you produce those vowels, you get the widest jaw excursion. So I like to see if they can do those and open their mouth all the way, that they're not sort of clenching, that they're not, they can have adequate open mouth posture movement. So I do that. And then I, in that open mouth posture with in a ah, not where they're saying ah, I see if they can take their tongue and lift it up to the alveolar ridge right behind the front teeth. I guarantee you most kids who cannot pass that test of 20 times on each side can also not lift their tongue up to the alveolar ridge right behind their teeth and keep their jaw open. They can't do it. Now, I'm not talking like a three-year-old because three-year-olds still are having trouble coordinating their tongue and to do this and to follow directions and all this. I'm talking about a child a little bit older, you know, five, four-year-olds sometimes can do this, five-year-old and up. They can't do it because they have poor jaw strength. So a lot of times what you see them do is their tongue and jaw move as a unit, and they can't separate their tongue from their jaw. I also see if they can move their tongue laterally and if their jaw stays still. Most of the time, if they don't pass that 20 times on each side test, they can't do it. 
I try to see if they can move their tongue separate from the jaw to move it laterally. But like I said, they usually can't do it. Usually their jaw is moving with their tongue. And usually they can't do stuff that everybody learned in graduate school. They can't usually do that either. So little tips there. Those are all assessment tools I use. So let's sum up this assessment section before we move on to treatment. The big things you're looking at for the jaw are, one, jaw excursion. Are they able to maintain a pattern of jaw movement where they're opening the jaw about the same amount every single time? That demonstrates control and strength. If they can't, then, you know, poor control, poor strength. You also want to look at rhythm. Can they keep the jaw moving in rhythmical fashion without clenching the jaw, without rapid movements of the jaw, without really changing those excursions up much? Can they maintain that pattern? If they can't, poor control and strength. You also want to see if they're sliding the jaw side to side. Again, lack of strength and coordination. If they are doing that, like sliding, that lateral jaw movement side to side, you really shouldn't see any of that with speech sounds or feeding. Don't confuse like rotating your jaw and normal chewing with sliding. I'm talking about really moving your jaw side to side, and especially in speech, speech sound productions, because there is no speech sound that requires you to move your jaw side to side. So excursions, rhythmic movement. You also want to assess if they can isolate their tongue from the jaw. Do they move the tongue and jaw as a unit? If they do, again, it just indicates that the jaw is not strong and stable, and they're basically trying to compensate for that with the tongue. So they're using the tongue muscles to make up for weak jaw muscles. If they can't separate the tongue from the jaw, they should be able to separate the tongue, move it in isolation of the jaw with the jaw staying very still and not moving at all. So if they can't do that, again, you've got some problems there for your articulators. And that's kind of where you want to look for the assessment. It doesn't take long to do a jaw assessment. It's pretty quick. It can be actually pretty fun. Most kids like it. You know, they don't really mind it too much. And I can do it pretty quick in like less than seven minutes, 10, seven minutes kind of thing. And I can get some really good information. And it also helps me provide sort of a framework and sort of more information for a speech assessment, like if you're doing a common speech assessment that most speech therapists gives is a Goldman-Fristow test of articulation. That's a test that most speech therapists use to assess speech sound productions. And if I'm giving that, if I do the oral motor assessment with the jaw, it just sort of enhances my findings, helps me sort of understand really what the core problem is with this child, and then help me write a better plan of care. So that's, again, why you do the job assessment and how it affects speech. And feeding, it helps me understand, okay, if this child can't form a bolus, well, if they've got poor jaw strength, probably can't form a good bolus because the tongue can't move in isolation from the jaw. So you need that tongue to be able to move to form a good bolus, and if it can't, if the jaw is weak. It also helps me understand if they're losing a lot of food out of the front of their mouth because of lip movement or poor lip closure. You know, if the jaw's not strong, then again, you've got poor foundation for the lips. It's kind of like a house. I think of it like jaw strength is sort of a house when I'm talking about speech sound productions and feeding, but especially with feeding, I use this analogy of a house. The jaw is the foundation. So if you don't have the foundation built correctly, then really none of the feeding stuff is going to go well. So think of it that way a little bit. And so now we need to really move into treatment and treatment strategies. All right, so first off, let me say this before we get into the treatment stuff too much. None of the treatment things we're going to talk about today are really rocket science. We're working on chewing and chewing exercises and getting the jaw stronger. So if I work on anything, it's always going to be functional and practical because 
whatever you do in therapy, you've got to be able to transfer it back to the house. And if you can't make it easy and functional, it's just not worth your time. So give it up. So all of these are very functional. And I know they're tried and true because I've been doing them now for 20 years. So tried and true exercises that I do regularly all the time and things that I give to parents to do all the time. So the first thing is this. Okay, they can't chew on 20 times on each side. So the first thing you can work on with a chewy tube, and I give the parents a chewy tube, and I say, okay, when the child's brushing their teeth, you're already in front of the mirror. It just makes sense to do it with the child's brushing their teeth. So the child's brushing their teeth, you work on the chewing exercises. And I usually start off with, depending on how good they did with that, five times on each side. So five times on the right, five times on the left, and you really want them to do it twice a day at home, if at all possible. And it's imperative that they do it at home because it's really not getting better if you just do it in therapy. They gotta do it at home. So I always recommend them doing it at home and I always ask them, okay, how did it go? And I don't just ask, how did it go? And without any follow-up questions. Because how did it go meant, oh, well, the parent could say, oh, it went fine. That doesn't tell me anything. So how did it go? Okay, well, how many times could he do it five times? I mean, was he able to do it five times in the morning and night? Oh, you know, so tell me, how did it, how is it different in the nighttime than it was in the morning? Oh, it was just the same. Well, tell me, how did, what did y'all do? How did you do it? Did you do it when he was brushing his teeth? Ask very specific questions because then you can really figure out, okay, did they do these or not? And you can also figure out really, did they follow with the home program that you gave them, like you wanted it to be given? If they didn't, that gives you a lot of feedback. Okay, well, I wasn't clear. Or maybe they're not buying into it. Or maybe they just misunderstood and I need to go back and give better directions. I don't know what it was, but you just need to find out where the exercise is done like you want them done. Because it's pretty specific. You put the chewy tube in between the back molars back there on the side of their mouth, and they chew five times. And they move to the other side, they chew five times. And you count one, two, three, four, five. One, two, three, four, five. It's really not that hard. It's pretty easy to imagine if you're, you know, because you're all listening. So it's really not difficult. And if they didn't do that, then you need to figure out why not. So ask very specific questions. If the child's not digging the chewy tube, or you know what, if they get bored with the chewy tube, because I get bored with the chewy tube then you can make a chewy bag. I love to make chewy bags, and I keep this little stash in my therapy room. And so what I do is this. I go to the fabric store, and I buy this stuff. Okay, this is going to date me. But when I went to prom, girls wore these big crinoline things under their dresses. So you want to buy the stuff. Basically, it's the crinoline without the starch in it. So it's soft crinoline. I don't know what it's called. I just know it's at the fabric store and it comes in lots of different colors. So if you're feeling all funky, you can get like some hot pink or green or whatever. But anyway, I usually buy colors because it's more fun. And so you just buy like a couple yards of this stuff. And then you go get some gummy bears. Now my favorite gummy bears, and I'm a little bit picky on the gummy bears now, gummy bear snob. My favorite are the Haribo or Haribo or Haribo or I don't know how you say it, but I know how you spell it. H-A-R-I-B-O gold bears, like gold package. I like these for a couple reasons. They're a little bit firmer than other gummy bears I've tried. They don't fall apart quite as quickly in the chewy bag. And also, I let them get a little bit stale because then they're a little firmer to chew. So I don't really eat the gummy bears that I use in the chewy bags because they're stale. So they're harder to chew up. <laughs> but they make for a nice, like, spongy, chompable which is not a word, I know that, but uh, type of consistency to use. First off, I do this. So you've got your gummy bears and you've got your material. So you take your material, I cut them into little squares that are about, I don't know, four inches by four inch square. So it's a little square box. And then I put about four or five gummy bears in the middle of it. Now you remember when you're in like kindergarten, first grade, second grade, and it was Halloween and you made the ghost and you put like cotton balls or 
or balled up tissue paper in the middle of another piece of white tissue paper. It was like a white square of tissue paper, and then you made like a ghost head. I don't know if that is clear or not, but if you made like little ghosts when you were like in preschool or kindergarten or first grade, that's what you're going to do. So you have the little gummy bears in the middle of your four by four square, and then you fold all the ends up and around, and you make like a little ghost head. And then I sort of hold my thumb and my finger right there at the neck of the ghost head. I don't know how else to say it but that. So hopefully this makes good sense. So that little head of the ghost or the little pouch with the gummy bears in it is what the child chews on. And I hold right at the edge of that pouch. So I kind of put the little pouch part in the child's mouth and they chew. And so they get nice flavors and stuff from the gummy bears. And so it tastes good. So it makes them think they're eating some candy, but they're really not eating anything because there's nothing that's going to come out of my material. That's why I like this type of material. It doesn't rip. It doesn't get mushy and like stick together. It's great. And so I just love it. And so anyway, they chew on this. I chew you know, five to 10 times. Usually I can get kids to chew on that longer than I can a chewy tube. And then I do the other side and we go on from there. And then I just throw it away. So it's cheap and it's easy and it's fun for the kids. You can put some other stuff in this side of the material. Like I've done like fig bars, like fig Newtons. I've done bananas, but it gets real messy. So I really like a gummy bear. And then my gloves get sticky usually. So I just throw the whole thing away, but it works great. Kids love it. They think they're eating candy and they're not. It's great. Anyhow, that's what I do for a chewy bag, and that's a great tool, and it's a great easy way to work on chewing on the right and the left side for younger kids, and so I do that. Now, also, for kids who really aren't chewing, who are just maybe eating mushy, pureed foods, and they were not even chewing anything at all yet, as long as they're safe to chew consistency higher, as long as you know that their swallow is safe, then a lot of times what I'll use, I have three favorite things. I like Cheetos, the big puffy Cheetos. Those are not good for you, but anyway, because they make a nice crunch sound. And so a child gets a lot of feedback and they're not that hard to chew through and they dissolve quickly in their mouth. So if you're worried about them getting a big piece in their mouth or swallowing or something, this dissolves very quickly with saliva. So that's why I like it. Plus it makes a nice big chew sound gives a nice auditory and tactile feedback because it's a nice you know tactile feedback through the jaw too so i use that i'll position the cheeto so i hold it and i usually just give them the tip end to bite and to chew through because i don't want too much going in their mouth at one time so i'll hold it with my sort of my hands up to the surface of the teeth and then they'll chew on the right and then the left side nice big crunch so this is a great way to move kids from pureed diet to a mechanical soft diet and they get some nice feedback and i hold it on the right side and the left side right there at the mold right on the side of their mouth. Also use Ritz crackers to do this. This is a little bit more advanced, but the Ritz crackers also dissolve quickly and give a nice uh, sound. And then the most advanced level of that is like a vanilla wafer. Because a vanilla wafer, go home and try it. Get you some vanilla wafers. You have to really crunch through a vanilla wafer pretty good, but it's not as hard as other cookies. But this is the advanced chewing class, you know, if you get to the vanilla wafer. Plus, they can break in half really easily, so it's easy to hold and hold that side of the vanilla wafer right there at their teeth, help them to chew, and do the other side and help them to chew. Really easy things to do, and you sort of hold it in your fingers. Your fingers never go in between the teeth at all, so you're not going to get bit, so you're fine. So those are a lot of strategies for chewing with food and without food and how to work on chewing exercises, and a lot of that to the chewy bags and then the cookies and the Cheetos I use with younger kids. Because for younger kids, you can't really say, okay, do this and let's see if you can move your tongue laterally. You know, you've got to work on this chewing stuff and as a collateral bonus, not really because you're working on it though, 
the tongue is going to move laterally. But you can't really tell the child, move your tongue laterally now. you got to keep thinking about the tongue as you're working on this jaw. Now, for older kids, though, you can do that together. So for them, I work a lot just with the chewy tube with the older kids. So for a lot of my kids who are trying to work on an R sound, you've got to assess this jaw because they cannot do like really controlled tongue movements if they don't have any jaw strength. So you've got to assess this jaw. And for them, I really work with the chewy tube and I also do a lot of tongue exercises with that. So think about that with the older kids. You can do chewy bags with the older kids, but if they think it's cool enough. So, you know, you may have the cool factor going on. And I'm thinking like fifth graders, sixth graders, seventh graders, the ones who have been working on R forever and still don't have it, you've got to assess their jaw function and their jaw strength and coordination. It's imperative. So for them, I really just stick with that chewy tube and we just like work on a lot of exercises. For them, I use a lot of talking about, you know, we're working on this muscle, get these muscles stronger. We got to do reps. You know, I kind of use a lot of analogies of, you know, if you're working on different parts of your body with weightlifting or using weights or exercising, you you know, you've got to strengthen the muscle. So I use a lot of that about the jaw when I'm working with them. So you sort of frame it different. You're working on basically the same thing with both groups, but you got to know your audience basically with what I'm saying. You're treating the whole child. Don't forget, you're treating the whole child. Know who you're working with. Okay, so as I start to wrap up this jaw assessment and treatment, this has been fun. I've enjoyed myself. It's been great. So the big takeaways from this are don't forget about the jaw. It's so important. And this is just fun stuff. I mean, I really like this in a very nerdy speech therapy kind of way. But hey, it's my thing. So just don't forget about the jaw. Really assess that. It's such a great framework and foundation for speech assessment language assessment. Heck, if nobody knows what you're saying, then that's not going to be very effective. And feeding. So you can make a big difference very quickly on just working on the jaw. So that's the big takeaway. Okay, everybody. Well, it's been fun. I've enjoyed it. So what you got to do now is go and start your feeding kit, your feeding box. Everybody I know has one, (laughs) I'm sure. Um, I have one. And so in mine, I have that tool or that stuff I talked about, the Krenlin stuff that goes underneath dresses uh, that go to the fabric store. You'll know exactly what I'm talking about. I have that. I have vanilla wafers. I have Ritz crackers. I have gummy bears. And I have some scissors so I can cut my material up. And Cheetos. Of course, Cheetos. Uh, They also help. I don't let the Cheetos get stale because in between home visits, sometimes I get a little hungry. So anyway, get you all of that stuff. Start your feeding kit and use this on kids. I mean, it's fun. Kids love it. Keep the scissors locked up, though. Don't let them have those. But I've enjoyed it. It's been fun, y'all. Start your feeding kit, and I'll catch you on another episode of The Working Therapist. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Working Therapist, an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. If you would like more information regarding this podcast or would like to get in touch with us for any reason, visit us on the web at www.pediatricdt.com. That's pediatricdt.com. 